knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. You know, one of the first things I did was ask him, you know, what is this? What is this shark repellent? And it's actually uh, derived from the rotting carcass of dead sharks. And I asked him, well, it's like, wow, how'd you figure that out? And he said he actually got the idea from fishermen themselves. Uh, of course, uh, back in the day, old uh, uh, well, fishermen technique was, or the anecdotal technique at least, was to, if you were having problems with sharks on your fishing gear, uh, uh, was to kill them and hang them off the side of the boat. and. After some period of time, the sharks would, would go away. And even commercial shark guys, you know, um, when they clean their sharks, they'll drive the, the entrails and the heads and stuff that, that, that don't need uh, far, far away from their fishing grounds in order not to spoil the fishing grounds. So um, believe it or not, he went back into the, some old Navy declassified um, um, Navy documents from World War II and saw that the Navy was trying to develop a repellent at the time and using uh, that concept of uh, trying to get something uh, from the rotting carcass of the dead shark. And unfortunately, the USS Indianapolis occurred, which you guys, anybody who's seen the movie Jaws knows the story of, you know, that Quint says about, you know, 1,100 men went into the water. Um, <laughs> That's pretty and, good. Uh, pretty good. Quinn right there, man. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Patrick Rice. Hi, I'm Captain Mike Fuller, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. We got an interesting conversation with a second generation charter fisherman, Captain Mike Puller out of Miami. And we also have Dr. Patrick Rice, who's done a tremendous amount of research on sharks and also shark repellent technology. Turns out to be a pretty interesting conversation about those topics, but then Dr. Rice also has some experience uh, in infectious disease. So stay tuned to the end where we start talking about COVID-19 and how we can protect ourselves from that. And uh, pretty good. I loved it. So stand by for this conversation coming up. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. 
Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, Mike, Patrick, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk to both of you guys. Uh, Mike, you're a second-generation charter fisherman um, in Miami, right? Yes, sir. And uh, how did you, uh, like, how did that happen for you? Well, it was kind of, uh, you know, being a son of a charter captain, you grow up on a dock or a boat. And uh, it just kind of sticks. You know, from the time you're a kid, you're out there on the boat all the time. You know, your odd jobs become boat washing and cutting fish. And, you know, you just kind of find yourself in it. And that's the, uh, you know, even out of college. I mean, that's how I paid my way through school, just you know, working summers with that. So it sticks. And, you know, you, you either have it, you have the love for it or you don't. And then, and, it kind of stuck with me. So did you ever think staying with it? Did you ever think you might do something else besides charter fishing? So there was that period when I was a young man, I wanted to be a rock star, but you know, I didn't <laughs> take. So <laughs> didn't we all? <laughs> I think exactly. everybody wanted to be a rock star. But you you know, you're a rock star up on the up on the uh, uh you know, in the in the wheelhouse. Um kind of makes you feel feel like a rock star you you actually are kind of a rock star because i was checking you out um before this call about what you're doing with with kids and fishing and i think that's super cool i've done a number of podcasts with different um summer camps and what is what is explain what you're doing the fishing experience well started off back in uh, 2004 uh as just a, a means to fill up our summer which were you know typically slower months and it, it grew into something a bit bigger, uh, a lot bigger, actually. And uh, at this point, we're on our about to jump into our 17th summer. Uh, we run wire to wire on the summer, uh, the school break, uh, 10 weeks of camp. We have multiple boats going. Um, it's more of a mentoring program on top of the day-to-day fishing camp. Take the kids offshore every day, and we teach them to do everything we do uh, from my job to the mate's job and everything in between so that uh, they can handle doing this stuff on their own. A lot of you know, all these families have their own boats and they fish on their own. So uh, these kids build up a pretty significant skill set. Man, that's awesome. And uh, how long did it take you to branch that off into multiple boats? Uh, started about year four. Um, I I couldn't handle the demand. You know, the first year I spent every dime I had on radio ads and we sold it out in about two days. And uh, we started off with four weeks. And then just, you know, parents would ask us, hey, I've got a friend. They want to do it. Will you consider doing another week? Or, and we filled that up. And next thing you know, I just, uh, I never put out a flyer, um, nothing for, for, for years. And it sells out by word of mouth. So I just uh, thought I'd bring some of the other guys into it. They've been fantastic. I love that, man. That's, that's really cool. Um, so now with, with this deal, you're seeing, you're seeing kids like enter the business or, or, uh, 
become charter fishermen themselves later? I mean, 17 years, well, you've seen point, some kids grow up. Yeah. I've had uh, kids, you know, when they were nine years old, I took them out. Now they're young men. Uh, they've got, I've got guys that, uh, and girls in the industry selling boats, um, you know, inventing fishing tackle, uh, out there on tournament teams, winning tournaments, inventing, tournaments, inventing fishing tackle. What kind of tackle uh, yeah, are they I've inventing? Got, uh, one young man, Elliot London, who created the bait strips, the, the kind of a mylar uh, bait strip. They work really well. Um, some of the young guys that have come along have, come up with some really neat stuff uh uh these are these are the kids that like i'm sure most of us just you know we're all in on fishing and can't quite get enough of it and you know they they applied their uh, that enthusiasm towards uh getting creative with the tackle i was pretty <laughs> excited to watch that happen that is cool what do you think are the most important lessons that you can be teaching young kids like do you see that some of these kids come and they're kind of uh, have the wrong idea about certain things and, and you kind of put them on the right path or like, what does that look like for you? Well, the good thing is I'd say at the beginning, there was more of that. The good thing is now uh, you catch them early before the the bad habits take hold. Um, you know, when I was a, when I was a young guy, the fish were dollars, right? So, you know, we weren't really paying as much attention to the, the conservation end of things we didn't we had yet to see some of these fisheries crash the way they did but we saw pretty quick that uh you know we've got the skill we've got the technology to kill everything in the ocean if we if we wanted to so we've got to be really careful and uh, responsible with it and i think you know teaching that to the kids right out of the gate um it it uh you know it's it's paid dividends you know they've got they're in the right mindset now and are they accepting of that is that kind of like a natural progression over the years that they're like of course like is that new to i mean it doesn't seem like that would be it seems like kids today it would be more of a like of course that's what you do where even 17 years ago eh, it was a little different maybe you know well you know what it's like uh whether you play ball or, or you fish or whatever that the, your teachers are your example and these kids they look at the they look at the captains and mates and to them, I mean, that's just, those are the heroes. So, um, you know, monkey see monkey do, uh, you got to set a good example. The example I give is, uh, when I first started this, uh, let's say you go out, you know, summertime's dolphin season and, you know, you're out there catching the mahis and, and you got a 20 inch, uh, minimum fork length and, you know, you catch a couple and they'd be close and, Oh, can we keep them? Can we keep them? And now, we get a, you know, you get 10, 12 fish in the box. Everybody has dinner and they catch a 21, 22 incher and they're, Hey, can we let it go? Can we let it go? Is mm -hmm. it okay? So, Hey man, that's your fish. You let them go. You want to let everything go. That's great. You got enough for dinner. And so, you know, you, we've seen that change over the years and, you know, honestly, it wasn't like that when, you know, when I was a kid, like right. I said, we, we sold the fish. We, it, it all meant money to us. Yeah. That's interesting. It's cool that, uh, you know, people, kids particularly have an outlet to, to get out. Cause it's, you know, it's pretty expensive. And, uh, a lot of times kids don't have the opportunity to be exposed to what you're doing, like offshore fishing. Um, so it's really cool that you got kind of that entry level kind of opportunity for kids to learn about it. And, and, uh, and then like, as I read on, 
you have like a ride along program. Yes. That um, seems, that seems like the best deal for like a, a kid, like to be able to ride along on a charter boat for what the summer or for a week or how does that work? Well, it starts off when uh, once campers have been through the program a bit, they hit 15, they can apply to be a ride along. Um, we have so much demand for that. You know, once I try to get them in as much time as I can, but obviously we have you know more kids at this point than, than we've got room for in there. Um, and there are those that really stand out as the ones that are going to continue in the business or, you know, just doing this on their own. Um, and they've got, you know, the more responsible kids. They're essentially a junior counselor during camp. Yeah. Um, they come along, they help the younger kids, they help teach and they work. Um, they, they learn some of the, you know, the, the before and after work, you know, prepping the boat, you know, you know, prepping for the next day, cleaning up at the end of the day, taking care of the equipment. and. Um, you can always tell the ones that are that are going to go in that direction. Um, they get uh, community service hours for the time they put in. Uh, I have a few that really stand out, uh, just a handful that will also fish with us during the year on weekends and uh, school breaks and put in time just helping out during charters. And that's cool. That's a great opportunity because, man, when I first started guiding, I'd, I don't think I'd ever been on a guided trip. I didn't know anything about you know, professionalism. Um, I had to learn the hard way, like, okay, this is a guided trip. <laughs> I guess this is yeah. what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, you, I had mentors and people that kind of showed me like what it's supposed to look like, but still, you know, it's a big difference if you've actually gone out there and done that. That's a great opportunity for those kids. That's awesome. So, and then we also have Patrick, uh, Dr. Patrick Rice on the phone. And, uh, Patrick, you've done a tremendous amount of shark research. Uh, we got together, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago when I first became familiar with your, with your work. Um, can you tell, tell, kind of give a update of where you are and how you got there? Uh, sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Um, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a marine biologist my whole entire life. Um, and I finally got to follow a dream, which was to go to the University of Miami and get my PhD. And uh, while I was there, uh, my PhD project was focused on trying to reduce bycatch during commercial fishing. And of course, you know, um, uh, the main target for my research was uh, longline fishing. And sharks are a significant contributor to um, uh, the bycatch in uh, commercial longline fishing. So uh, I, I guess in 2003, uh, which is when I uh, my first year in my PhD, I actually met my business partner, Dr. Eric Straub, who had come up with uh, a chemical shark repellent that was starting to make news. Uh, so I contacted him and asked him if there was some way we might be able to put this uh, on the on the bait uh, to try and reduce shark bycatch during uh, the longline fishing. And uh, it was kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, he, he's an organic chemist and I'm a marine biologist. And uh, so we, uh, uh, you know, one of the first things I did was ask him, you know, what is this? What is this shark repellent? And it's actually uh, derived from the rotting carcass of dead sharks. And I asked him, well, it's like, wow, how'd you figure that out? And he said he actually got the idea from fishermen themselves. Uh, of course, uh, back in the day, old uh, uh, well, 
fisherman technique was, or the anecdotal technique at least was to, if you were having problems with sharks on your fishing gear, uh, uh, was to kill them and hang them off the side of the boat. And after some period of time, the sharks would, would go away. And even commercial shark guys, you know, uh, when they clean their sharks, they'll drive the, the entrails and the heads and stuff that, that they don't need uh, far, far away from their fishing grounds in order not to spoil the fishing grounds. So, um, Believe it or not, he went back into the, some old Navy declassified um, um, Navy documents from World War II and saw that the Navy was trying to develop a repellent at the time and using uh, that concept of uh, trying to get something uh, from the rotting carcass of the dead shark. And unfortunately, the USS Indianapolis occurred, which you guys, anybody who's seen the movie Jaws knows the story of, you know, mm-hmm. that Quint says about, you know, 1,100 men went into the water. Um <laughs> That's pretty and, good. Uh, pretty good, Quinn, right there, yeah. man. <laughs> Spot on. Oh yeah, I know that movie by heart. It's my favorite movie <laughs> for sure. Uh, but anyway, you know, when that happened, the Navy said to the researchers, "Give us what you got." And they didn't have the chemical uh, analysis techniques that we we have today. Uh, and so they actually gave them um, uh, something uh, that was ammonia based. And believe it or not, ammonia is a shark attractant. And they stuck it in this waxy black stuff with a bunch of dye in it and said, here you go, sailors, you know, here's your shark repellent. And, you know, how many chances do you actually have to, to, um, uh, I guess, test that out for real, right? Well, it wasn't until, um, I guess, the Korean War when um, pilots started going down in the ocean and started reporting back that, you know, while they were floating there and you know, they saw sharks and they – ripped open their shark repellent. It was called shark chaser, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and they rip it open and then make a big die uh, 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 and give them some comfort. But they said the sharks were just swimming in and out of this stuff. And so that's kind of why shark repellent got kind of got its snake oil kind of um, reputation, if you will, because the Navy tried stuff over and over and over again. And, and you know, 8,000 8, different things they probably tried. Uh, and that's no exaggeration. Hmm. Um uh, and, and, uh, uh, and they never went back to those original formulas. So my, you know, business partner being a, uh, he's a genius. Uh, he's in the New Jersey inventor hall of fame. Um, he, uh, he went back and started tinkering with it and was working on his PhD project at the same time and discovered that sharks don't like the smell of dead rotting sharks. And, uh, he was able to extract those chemicals, those, uh, you know, naturally occurring chemicals right out of the uh, tissue of the shark and developed a shark repellent. And so um, when he and I talked, he really liked the idea of trying to reduce bycatch uh, uh, during commercial fishing. And we started working with squid bait and, and time release. And and lo and behold, here we are, you know, uh, we've done quite a bit of long line research and been able to, you know, up to 75% reduction in shark bycatch. Uh, we met the guys from Shark Tech and uh, uh, decided to get out of, you know, uh, basically advance our technology by working with a company called Food Source, um, uh, a gentleman named Steve Wisdom, who has a really nice organic polymer um, that binds and uh, the repellent quite well. It dissolves quite well, and it's similar to the, you know, those gulp baits that they use yeah. that you used to see. Yeah, you know, it's just same kind of uh, technique where you infuse it with some something that has a smell to it. In this case, it's a repellent. Um, and uh, um, the guys from Shark Tech started working with uh, captains like uh, uh, Captain Pluer. And um, the rest speaks for itself, really. So, Mike, as a second-generation charter fisherman, you're probably very familiar with um, commercial fishing as well. Like, 
that was, you know, to my, to my knowledge, you know, I, I've always heard the thing about hanging, you know, killing a shark when, when you're getting sharked, killing the shark and, and either feeding parts of it back to the sharks that are there. And, and, and then that way you could, you know, catch a yellowtail or whatever that it would make the sharks go away. Do you have, I mean, is that common knowledge when you yeah, were growing, well, growing up? up? We used to go to the Bahamas a lot. Um, I mean, back and forth my whole life. And, and a long time ago, I remember uh, we would fish with the Bahamians and we'd start getting sharks. They would tell us, hey, just catch a shark, catch a shark. And we'd get one up to the boat and they would reach over and cut it open and say, okay, let it go. And it would take off, and then you'd have a good, solid couple hours without a single shark bite. So there's something to it. I don't know if the other sharks were chasing it off, they were eating it, if they were scared off by it. But yeah, that I mean, it did work for whatever reason. Uh, we didn't really question that. That was just something we did. And um, you know, it's been a long time since we've done stuff like that. You know, people have kind of changed attitudes about you know how we deal with fish and you know just random kind of killing things and yeah well not only you, know, you don't hang a big fish up on a dock like you used to right um, not only attitudes but but actual laws like absolutely you know absolutely. the sharks I mean, are most of these sharks are protected now right. which has led to an explosion in the population uh, which has probably you know just ultimately led us to this conversation right here right i mean i'm i'm interested in in your especially going over to the bahamas as much as you are the last time that we went to the bahamas tuna fishing um wasn't that long ago and it was ridiculous how many sharks there were and then we would yeah. leave you know it's like you're catching these tuna and it's like okay how many do you want to feed to the sharks? Because that's what's happening. And so, you know, even though the fishing is phenomenal and we're getting bit and everything's great, everyone that we're hooking is getting eaten. And at some point you're just kind of like, man, like we gotta, Wait. we gotta move on. Like, this is crazy. Like we, we did all this work. We got all the way over here. We found the birds on the radar, like we were hoping for and everything came together and the fish are here and they're biting and this is awesome. It's exactly what we're looking for. And then bam, 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 bam. I mean, every single one is, is getting attacked. And yeah, then we just had to say, well, we're just going to find more birds and find a different place. And it just made it, I mean, and it's not just between the keys and the Bahamas either. I mean, the keys are, there are a lot of sharks. And I don't know, like, especially your, your opinion as a, as a second generation charter fisherman, do you think there are more now than there were when you were growing up, when you were a kid? Well, look at it this way. You know, there was a time when we used to uh, do a lot more work and we still do, but uh, we used to do a lot more work with the taxidermist. We sent them a lot of customers. We were catching these bigger fish. And if someone wanted a shark, you really had to go out of your way to a couple of specific areas and work hard. And sometimes you waited a long time. That does not happen right now. They are everywhere. And it used to be exclusive to the Bahamas, more in the Keys sometimes. But now it's everywhere. You talk about wasting fish. You know, if I go stop and, 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 and drop um, on a wreck or something, trying to catch a snapper or a grouper, you know, you catch one maybe or it gets bit in half. And then after that, you're pretty much just feeding the sharks, and it's a it's terrible waste. The same thing with permits, same thing with even kings and out in kind of open areas now. They're just showing up out of nowhere. Mm. So we're but there there really are everywhere. And it's become a big problem. Yeah. And it it 
you know, the fishing seems to be great. Like that's what's so frustrating about, about that situation. Like that I explained with the, with the tuna, it's like you go through so much and to find it and you find it. And then it just, there's, there's a problem. There's a shark or a bunch of them. I mean, you look down there and there's, you know, eight or six or eight just circling, just waiting for you to hook another fish, almost like they, you know, I mean, it's not almost like, I believe that they hear the boats and know, okay, that's last time we heard that we're getting, we got fed. Um, Patrick, what do you know about the shark population? Do we have data on, on the actual shark population in the Florida Keys and in between the Florida Keys and the Bahamas? Yeah, there was actually a study done in 2003, uh, approximately 10 years after they put the um, protections in place uh, for sharks. And and, and there's, uh, it's not just anecdotal evidence, it's real. The populations along the Atlantic coast are definitely rebounding. So you hear that, that the, that's kind of a confusing thing to some people, I think, that aren't very familiar with, with the area or don't fish there much. like. You hear all this um, data of worldwide shark populations on the decline, which could be. I mean, I don't fish all over the world. I don't know. I'm sure that there's plenty of places where they're getting overfished, but I do know that in the in the Keys, it seems like they're more than than ever. So, the worldwide population could be on the decline, but the but but certain populations in certain areas could be exploding. I mean, that's certainly possible, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, one of the things about the United States is that uh, there are a lot more rigorous, you know, um, environmental regulations and and fishing regulations, and that's why I have to tell, I tell people all the time, you know, be careful what you consume, you know, make sure that you're not our fishermen are the best in the world and uh, the best for the environment in the world, and you know, be careful that you're not uh, making choices that. Uh, uh, where the fish are coming from places that where they're not as, uh, uh, environmentally conscious. So yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's a, you know, the problem is, you know, for example, shark finning, um, we don't do it in the, in the United States anymore. We don't allow the, the fishermen to, um, just bring back the fins and not the carcass, but that that's only in the U S I mean, or other, there's a few other countries, but for the most part, you know, other places in the world, they, they catch a shark, they fin it, throw the carcass overboard with the shark alive and, you know, um, you'll hear a lot of people uh, uh, complain about that because it's just a little bit inhumane, um, and it's really a waste of meat, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but yeah, definitely, um, populations in the U.S. Are, are are rebounding, but that's not that's not the trend around the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah. So there, you get in this situation to where it's like people want to be an advocate for for you know, conservation, shark conservation or whatever, but then they're not familiar with what's actually happening, you know, in certain areas of the, of the Florida Keys or whatever. So then you get this pressure to, that, that all sharks are to be protected and there are no predators. I mean, we're the, we're the predator, I guess, of the shark. So they can grow unchecked. That's what it seems like it's happening anyway. Um, so this um, shark repellent that, that you're making, like in this situation where the where the sharks are 
protected. You can't just, in a lot of cases, depending on where you're fishing, even if you wanted to, you couldn't just kill a shark like Mike was talking about when he was a kid on the way to the Bahamas, like they did that. So you're, you're left with either moving or maybe trying something else. So when we first started, uh, when I first became aware of your work, Patrick, the, it was more of a, uh, like a repellent that you were working on, which was kind of like for the Navy or for a situation like the, like you described earlier. It was like, as I remember it, it was like a canister that you, you opened and it, it, it was like under pressure. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. You know, um, originally when we started this, it seemed that, um, there might be a, a good market for protecting humans from sharks and that market still exists, but, you know, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, people are, are more litigious. Uh, and we were starting to get people that were doing things that weren't very smart, you know, like, you know, uh, jumping in with a bunch of sharks. And, and, and so we figured let's just get away from trying to protect humans from sharks and, and focus on, uh, uh, a different avenue. And, uh, in this case, we, we saw that there might, um, be a lot of potential to, uh, help the commercial fishers down here. Um, I wrote a, um, uh, a proposal to the federal government to try and help the yellowtail fishermen down here, uh, trying to develop a, a shark repellent chum. And that's where we hmm. ended up meeting, uh, the guys from food source and, um, uh, we did get funded on that proposal, but the guys from Food Source really liked the idea, and so we kind of decided let's let's just we know the repellent works. Let's kind of try and see if we can't just com- take it to a, a commercial application with and let fishermen use it and and hmm. decide for themselves. And so uh, because we were just having a hard time getting funding from the federal government to continue the research. Um, not that they, I mean, you know, with the shark populations rebounding, sharks aren't just as, I guess, you know, not as important um, uh, from a research perspective. Yeah. Um, and so the shark repellent chum, what was the, what was the evolution of that? Like, were you trying to mix stuff into regular chum or what is it? What, what, how did yeah, you start I, I, doing that? Initially, we took, you know, some of that tournament chum, the best stuff that we could find and uh, started mixing it in with repellent and trying to freeze it and and doing that. Um, playing around with that, of course, you know, it worked. But we, we, uh, we've, we've, I guess, you know, when we went on the long line boats, uh, they don't use chum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we started sticking uh, um, basically... Uh, repellent in a water soluble wax into the squid bait and that's what we were noticing some of these reductions up to 75 percent in uh, uh, uh bycatch reduction and so we knew that that idea had merit on uh, the time release kind of uh aspect and and decided well let's just we you know let the the chum guys you know make the chum and we'll just make an additive a supplement to the chum hmm. if you will uh that you could just throw right in uh, and that evolved into, uh, I'll let Captain Puller talk more about it, but into a device that, or an application that uh, allows you to put the, the repellent right down by the bait. And apparently there's been a lot of, uh, and this was designed, I mean, we, we just make the, the, the repellent, uh, um, the time release repellent, but they're the ones who came up with the idea of trying to get it down by the bait and have had this tremendous success. And so now we've kind of 
um, packaged it in a way that a lot uh, gives you a little cage and all the things so that you can get your grouper or snapper back to the boat without getting uh, uh, taxed by the tax man. Hmm. So, yeah, Mike, what's your experience with this? Well, uh, I guess it's been almost a couple of years ago. Um, uh, we got connected by uh, Luke Walsh, who is the brother of my main ride along, who is now 16, Tyler. And uh, um, he came to me, he's partnering with Steve Wisdom and, uh, and working with Dr. Rice. And he said, hey, we've got an idea here and, you know, shark repellent, et cetera. And, um, and you know, you've, if you've been fishing long enough, you've come across so many new products and plenty of snake oils and hmm. hey, this is the new <laughs> magic bullet here. And, and so, you know, uh, extremely skeptical, but hey, I'm always willing to try something, you know, and uh, I'll go fishing. I can go fishing with anybody and pick up something new. So I'm definitely a student of, of, of pretty much anything I get my hands on. So I figured I'd give it a try. Um, and it was day one, we went out there and sort of on a hunch, we just, we cut out a piece of, uh, a piece of chum bag, put a chunk of this stuff on there, uh, on our lead. Uh, on a three-way swivel for a drop rig and put it down the wreck. And we had been getting shark. This was summertime. Uh, we're trying to drop for snappers and whatever else with bite jacks. And we were getting sharked on almost every drop. So we we, we kind of just didn't even want to do it. We started this and on day one, it was fish after fish we were catching. And not just not getting eaten by sharks, but we were getting a lot of bites. Hmm. So, you know, we started you know, looking at it like, Hey, this has an attractant value as well. So now they had, you know, different, uh, as it developed different kinds of suspensions, different, you know, getting it to, you know, he's on the technical end of all that, but getting it to melt faster or slower or, um, you know, have just, you know, different components to it. And we went back and forth on that over a long period. But when we ran out of this product, we, we, you know, they would send us a batch to try for a while. When we ran out, we went right back to getting eaten up hmm. and we started using it again and it was working again. And, you know, I'm always, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a skeptic and I thought, well, it was just coincidence and they were getting lucky. And, but there was a lot of back and forth with and without, and it was pretty consistent. And so when and you I were, thought, you know, I might really be onto something on the first day that you're talking about, you were using this, you you just put it down by the lead, or how? Or you put it in the chum, yeah, or how did you how did you use it? When, feet of water, we're dropping, um, you know, let's say a, a fifty, and we're using a couple pounds of lead um, off a three way swivel, and then I've got you know I got fifty foot a liter uh, behind that. Mm -hmm. um, I just I took a piece of the a piece of chum bag, put a chunk of that in there, and used a copper wire to wrap it on my lead, so that when I'm you know when I'm in gear, that current is dragging that scent over my bait. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, we get the fish on and we just weren't getting eaten up. And these were the same places, the same times of day, uh, within days of, of, of getting sharked up really bad. Hmm. So I know the sharks were still there, but, and, and I mean, my, my skepticism would go immediately to, well, maybe it's shark repellent, but it could be fish repellent too. Like if the sharks don't like it, then the fish probably won't like it either. That's what I would think that would be the biggest, you know, um, objection from fishermen, especially, you know, commercial fishermen or whatever. I mean, they don't, they definitely don't want their shark, their, their fish to get eaten. They'll probably try anything, but that was a big concern of ours. Yeah. And I actually, uh, you know, Dr. Rice can tell you 
uh, more about firsthand experience, how they tested over at the uh, University of Miami labs, how they tested uh, that theory on their uh, on their cobias. Well, I'd like to, to I'd that. like to hear about, about that because I was at the uh, at the cobia place. I'm familiar with that that place. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, before we could ever start putting this on any of the longline boats uh, for research, you know, that question came from the captains uh, and they wanted, they were looking for compensation, you know, in case it did have an impact on their, on their commercial kits. So we were, <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, so they're saying, yeah, we'll let you on the boat, but if we don't catch anything, you're going to have to pay. That's right. Huh. Uh, and, and we were paying them $2,500 a day um, to offset any, you know, any impacts. Um, and, and, uh, basically I went to a, a lab in Panama and I wanted to show this, this lab in Panama and Achetitas has a bunch of, uh, big yellowfin tuna in captivity. And so I gave these yellowfin tuna simulated long line over and over and over again. And what we noticed was, uh, we were having a higher strike rate on the repellent treated baits. So hang, hang and, on a second. Wait, wait, can I pause you there for a second? Cause that's interesting. A simulated long line with yellowfin tuna in captivity. What does that look like? Like how big a tank are we talking? Like what? Oh it- man, the faci- the facility is amazing. It's one of the coolest places I've ever been. But um, the tanks are twenty five uh, meters in diameter, which is you know a little bit more than twenty five yards, um, and uh, about forty feet deep. And they have a big giant uh, drain in the bottom of them, and and basically create a really strong current. And the tuna is just oriented to the current in the tank and they use them for, um, uh, research. Uh, and the idea is that, uh, these tuna are in a natural spawning area. And so they spawn pretty much every day. And then researchers get the eggs, look at the larval development and things like that. Well, they allowed me to come there, um, uh, as part of, uh, Dr. Dan Benetti's, uh, um, research team from the university of Miami and do some work with, um, our repellents. And basically we, we had a, a long bar that would span the entire, uh, length of, of the, uh, tank. And we basically offered, uh, a squid with repellent, a squid without a squid with a squid without a squid with it, squid without. And we dropped these, this bar into the water during feeding time. Uh, we did this over and over and over and over and over again and noticed that, uh, the tuna seemed to prefer the squid that had the repellent in the, in it, uh, which was, uh, curious, you know, we, but at the same time, didn't think a lot about it because really all we wanted to show was that there was no negative impact, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I took that information to the commercial fishers and I was actually able to use it to negotiate their price down from $2,500 a day a little bit. Um, especially once we started showing, they, they started coming back with data that showed that the big swordfish really liked this stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, it was amazing. They were catching, you know, quads and, uh, triple markers, you know, the, um, uh, they didn't really have an impact on the number of fish, but it did seem to have a significant impact on uh, the size of the fish that were being caught. Um, now, now so, do you think that's because they weren't getting sharked or because the big fish were actually biting the bait? I mean, like you never really know in, in a situation like that. Like, is that, are you catching bigger well, we, fish because they're not getting eaten, which might've been we, happening before? We have a hypothesis, you know, um, what we've noticed is that the more evolved shark species, um, we call them requiem sharks or carcarinid sharks and the lower, the lower uh, species of sharks, um, uh, are like, um, nurse sharks, mm-hmm. for example, are less evolved. You can tell that when the tail is really long and, and it's more like a prehistoric shark, mm. 
Um, and Where does a thresher fit in there? Well, threshers, that's not the same. Okay. It, they've actually had evolution on their tail to allow them to have right. that bigger okay. that bigger tail. So that's they're definitely a highly evolved shark. Um, but we, what we noticed is uh, uh, the reaction for the more evolved sharks to this stuff is like lightning. When they get it in their face and mouth, they are gone like lightning. And I think you, you, you've seen this before when we worked on our previous um, uh, research with uh, Steve Rogers and those guys. Um, uh, it just, it's like a lightning bolt re reaction. Um, uh, but the, the nurse sharks, you know, they'll leave the area, but they kind of mosey off. They don't take off with that, that, um, kind of, you know, like electric shock kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's made us think, wow, maybe this is a chemical that evolved years and years ago when sharks were, you know, um, you know, had predators like Megalodon or maybe, you know, there's evolution, you know, evidence that whales, you know, like killer whales and other things, uh, also prey on sharks and they eat the liver and leave the carcass behind. So we, you know, we're thinking it's an ancient chemical or a suite of ancient chemicals. And if it's something that's been around long, long enough and it's sending a signal, you know, to scare sharks away, it could be sent, that same signal could tell other fish, Hey, you know, sharks away, it's time to play, you mm. know? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's kind of our hypothesis. And to be honest with you, we, um, uh, when we, when I started thinking about this and started seeing the results over and over again, I, I asked Dr. Benetti if I could, um, use a tank of his cobia, uh, baby cobia, uh, and, and test it. And what we did was, uh, he, he let me uh, borrow a, a tank with 250,000 uh, little little cobia uh, fingerlings in it. And um, uh, what I did was I just set up a little camera. I taught the, the cobia to come and feed, you know, from my hand, right? So it didn't take long to do that. And I would feed them right in front of the camera. And uh, on one day, I decided, okay, let's um, let's uh, soak the, the pellets that I'm feeding these things in, in the repellent and see what happens. And so I started off, you know, like I normally do, I'd feed the fish, get them over there in front of the camera and I'm looking at my monitor and it's, you know, the typical thing. And then when I switched to the repellent treated uh, pellets, I was looking at the monitor and I thought for a second that my monitor had gone out because it was just black. And when I looked over the edge of the tank, these uh, little Kobe were forming a little bait ball or boiling all over the uh, uh, the hmm. camera. And I was like, wow. Um, but, you know, I'm a scientist and I'm, I'm trying to be, I try to be skeptical, right? I was like, okay, maybe, you know, uh, all the fish just got, you know, the scent and they were hungry and, and, and everything. So let me go back to the, to the non-repellent treated pellets. And when I did that, you know, they went back to their typical feeding behavior. And again, I, I'm like, okay, let's be skeptical here. Maybe they're just full or starting to get full. Right. And I went back to the repellent treated pellets and did it again. And I got that same behavior, uh, that, that broiling bait ball of behavior, on on the uh, um, on the camera, and I did that three times. I got it all on film, and I sent that to my business partner Eric, and I said, "I think we got something here." Um, so that's when we started doing some stuff, uh, um, uh, uh, just trying different uh, um, methods. We even started trying to market the stuff as an ABF, which was attract big fish. Hmm. Um, so you know, we're if if we can, I don't know. We're I mean, it could be the holy grail, maybe not. I don't know. Well, it, it, it's certainly interesting. And, and uh, you know, the fact that, you know, it's an old, it's almost like a, I don't know if you call it an urban myth or legend or, or a wives tale or whatever, but I mean, I, I've long known about the commercial fishermen, you know, saying that you kill a shark and, and that makes all the other sharks go away. Mike, Mike says the same thing. So that makes, 
it makes sense that sharks wouldn't want to be around a dead shark. Although I've had many, um, you know, like a black tip shark get eaten by another shark, like a tiger will, will eat them. So yeah, it has to be, it has to be, uh, there's a process, right. And it's proprietary. I can't really talk about it a lot, but, but, uh, uh basically it, it, the shark has to go through, uh, um, a level of decomposition, um, and it's basically as bacteria come in and, and decompose the shark, uh, it's the bacteria that are actually releasing um, what we call it's a necrobone, which is a death pheromone. Mm. That's our, our term for it. Yeah. So, well, as much as you can talk about it, can you talk about like how you make this stuff or like what the process is? Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Sure. I mean, uh, uh, there's no shortage of dead sharks out there. And so we try to, um, where, where do they take, come from? Like the shortage, I mean, like you say that, but where, where do dead sharks come from? Uh, well, our primary sources are, uh, is bycatch, dead bycatch or, um, from sometimes we, from some sort of commercial yeah. boat. Yeah. Um, or, you know, people that know us and say, Hey, look, you know, I found this shark. I've had a couple sharks that people got off the beach for us. Um, it, it doesn't take, much to to make a lot of repellent one you know um 100 pound shark can make roughly uh 100 gallons of repellent really and yeah yeah and so uh you know we source them from a variety of different places some we have some some partners in the federal government that uh, uh will occasionally give give us uh, uh sharks for research only um but yeah i mean tournaments where they kill sharks we try to take that negative situation in my opinion to and turn it into something positive hmm. you know one dead shark can save thousands yeah so with one shark you can make a ton of stuff so like it doesn't take much of these necromones to to make this product or or no it's no it's that we, strong our, our research suggests that it's just like blood but in the opposite direction Huh. Um, you know how you hear one drop of blood in the swimming pool will attract a shark? Well, one drop of this stuff in the swimming pool will repel it. In. And not to get too scientific, but the the actual it's called one uh, micromole per liter, which is basically one twentieth of a of a drop in a liter, is or it might even be less than that. It's not much. So I've always heard that like a shark can smell one drop in a swimming pool. So you got a million drops of water and one drop of blood and they could smell that. So when you talk about, I mean, that's, that's nice to hear that. And you, you know, but it, when you, when you think about going to a yellowtail spot or whatever, and you put out your chum line, how far away do you think sharks smell that? I would, Look, I mean, the best way is just to try it, um, you know, but it, it well, it works well, pretty much you know, every time you put the chum out there and the sharks show up. So I mean, yeah. they, they either smell it from a long way away and move in or they were there all along. But I just, you know, I've just always kind of heard that like you, you, they can smell so well, but I just kind of wonder how, you know, at what distance can they 
pick that up. It's it's very, very minute amounts. And I would argue that not argue, but I mean, if you're putting it in a chum bag and a shark is smell a shark is smelling the, the chemicals from the chum, it's also picking up the chemicals from uh the uh, shark repellent as well mm-hmm. and probably avoiding the area. And is that what you've seen, Mike, that they that they avoid the area? Yeah, in fact, I've actually seen uh you know, a lot of times we started using this stuff on deeper drops, so we weren't seeing these sharks that are eating us up. But the ones that I did see come up on the surface, um, a couple of them hung around, but just didn't eat. Mm. So I don't know if it was just that they, it, it's just turning them off and, uh, you know, suppressing that instinct to eat. Um, I know that, you know, it's got to have, uh, it's got to have something that's scaring them off. Uh, you know, on the, on the, on the technical end, obviously I'm, I'm the fish head, you know, I'm just the guy that's trying to keep from getting taxed. Um, and so as to how it's affecting them, you know, on a sensory level and I, I couldn't really even speculate, but no, but um, if you're, I if you can know. see them, you know, and you see the reaction to it, I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, how, how I make my living on the, on the flats. It's like you see a fish, you present the, the bait, the lure, the fly, the whatever, and you judge by that fish's reaction, oh, he kind of liked it, so we're kind of close. So let's find something similar to this, maybe a little smaller, maybe a little bigger, maybe you know something close to this, and you kind of work out this little puzzle. Or the other side, you throw a fly in, you know, a fly in there or a, or a lure or a, uh, you, you throw a mullet over there, and they just don't want anything to do with it. They turn around and go the other way. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's not what they want. You know, so you would see that reaction um, on occasion, I would imagine, where a shark's coming in and then just absolutely turns around and goes the other way. I think the most exciting way to to really uh, see how this works would be, you know, refishing, where you can see everything. You know, you know, let's say even if you're if you're able to elevate a little bit on a on a tower or on a bridge to be able to see, you know, you see the yellow tails mm-hmm. come up and uh, right. ball it up behind the boat and seeing all the other stuff come up to see the sharks come up and turn away. Or what I know some guys do, and it's probably just to, to save the product. They'll put their chum out, let the fish come up. They'll see the sharks come up and then they'll drop in the repellent hmm. and, uh, and push the sharks back. So that's probably the best way to, you know, people like to see it with their own eyes. Uh, that's the way you're really going to get people excited about it is to see it that way. Cause it's, uh, I mean, it's the real deal. And when I take people out on a charter, they got one day, you know, and they're spent a lot of money to do it. So for them to uh, get that one nice fish and have it eaten by sharks is so disappointing and it hurts us. I mean, you know, we've got to produce. So, you know, they're, they're looking at us to figure something out or, or go to that other spot where there are no sharks. And, Unfortunately, that just uh, doesn't really exist when they're on, they're on. So now we've got this solution to it. It was really exciting for us. And we we tested it over a long period, over a year and a half before they even went public with this stuff. So uh, we know it works. It's just um, trying to share that excitement, share that enthusiasm with the, the average guy out there. There's a big argument right now. You know, if you just had a big tuna eaten, like you were talking about, that's a nice fish. And that's, you know, it's, for some people, that's a catch of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. That thing gets eaten right behind the boat. It is so disappointing. The first thing you want to say is kill all the sharks. You know, there's too many. Let's just kill them all. 
Well, you know, we don't want to do that either. You put up one dead shark and then the rest of the gang comes out and says, hey, you know, you're a killer. You're a murderer. What do you have to kill that thing for? So uh, I think we've got a solution that satisfies everybody. Well, and it's legal, you know, in a lot of a lot of places, too. I mean, you, regardless of what you think, you might want to kill the shark and have no no problems with killing the shark. But you can't because it's you're in a protected area or they're protected in the area that you're fishing in um yeah that's that's interesting um so this stuff is commercially available right now yes what does it look like i really like the packaging i think it's pretty cool Um, what does the what does the product look like Like it's um uh, let me see the consistency, maybe of butter, um, but it doesn't melt as you know. Butter will melt at room temperature. It's a little bit more uh, stable at room temperature, and uh, it comes in a, a, a blue package. And you basically get a. Um, I, I could let um, Mike talk to it more. I have a package right here somewhere. Um, I was trying yeah, to remember how many. Uh, the first stuff we got, we've had different colors and different textures of it through the testing, but I think what they've settled on. It's kind of a kind of like a big brick. It's about an inch thick, and uh, it's 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 kind of blue. Uh, and we just cut it into pieces, and we put it in these little chum cages, which we attach now. You know, it beats wrapping up the old uh, chum bag. But we take this little chum cage, we attach it to a floss mark on our leader, mm-hmm. and we just shove some of the product in there. It actually uh, it melts out really slow. Uh, it lasts a while. Um, and it's good for, you know, a number of drops. How would you um, use it for yellowtailing? I'd put it right in a chum bag. Mm. Um, uh, it just goes out, it spreads out over a big area. With even just a little bit of current, which you'd want anyways, um, it's going right down into your into your fish column there. So it, 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 it does the trick. It mixes right in with the chum, and, and it does have an attractant quality. We used this stuff. We wanted to test that out ourselves. So we went out bait fishing. In fact, that was one of our final tests because we were really testing how fast it melted out. Um, and we used that by itself near our bait spot, and we had bait up behind the boat. And we were catching our live baits. So just that stuff. Yeah, just that stuff by itself. Like, um, and, you know, and you're talking about pilchards or ballyhoo or what? We were pulling up cigar minnows, okay. ballyhoo, uh, a few runners. There, there weren't any particulates in there. You know, there weren't any chunks of it going out. So it was ma- mainly just the scent. Huh. Uh, it was pulling some fish up. Uh, and it wasn't swarming them up like if you had a big cloud of chum going out. But again, this was just this, this, uh, the shark tech by itself. Hmm. So does it, it leave a, does it leave a slick or, or any, any kind of noticeable? Yeah, it wasn't a cloud. There was a, you could see a, a sheen on the surface. Um, you, you definitely knew some was going out. Uh, the fish didn't fall back real far on it. They came up kind of close. So, um, you know, we didn't do day after day of this. It was on a real clear day. So we're just pulling up values and things. So they stayed up real close on the boat. Um, but they were definitely smelling something. Hmm. Wow. And have you tried it on swordfish at all? Uh, I haven't yet. Um, I'm looking forward to doing it. Uh, we'll probably do some more swordfish in the summer. I've got a number of friends that do swordfish. I'm trying to get some of their hands. Um, I, I'd like to try the method that, uh, Dr. Rice was talking about. Um, 
and getting some into the baits. Um, I think, uh, you know, I don't know if our method of putting it up on leader uh, and having a scent trail behind it or actually putting into the bait, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to see which worked best. Yeah. We don't do the same volume um, of sword fishing. So, uh, you know, my sample would be as good as, you know, let's say one of these guys that does that stuff a few times a week. Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of guys are doing that, man. Like that's like their, their main gig these days. It's oh yeah, fishing, fishing swordfish every day for the most part. Um, what do you guys think about, like, we were just talking so much about the commercial fishing and, and, um, even the commercial shark fishing and the, you know, the, the bycatch on the boat. What, what are you seeing right now with the, with the quarantine and lockdown COVID-19 effects on the commercial fisheries? Well, I don't know. I'm on the charter end, uh, the sport fishing end. Uh, the commercial fishermen are legally allowed to go out. Uh, you know, a lot of marinas have been shut down, boat ramps, uh, private boaters launching from behind their homes. They, they're still out there. Uh, the commercial guys are allowed to fish, but their market is so suppressed with all right. the restaurants closed. And I mean, people still want to eat fish maybe from the grocery store. But that's got to be a huge hit to their it's got to their be. market. So I, I don't I just, know that they're really going at it as hard. I just wonder about the what what it did to the prices. I don't I don't know. I haven't been following that at all. But when you've got you know red lobsters closed around the country, and they're a major buyer. You got Whole Foods. You know different restaurant chains like that, like a Bonefish Grill across the entire country is closed down. Red Lobster, all these other seafood places that buy seafood from the Florida Keys, Miami, those areas, that they're just closed. Like I don't know that any amount of of uh, of you know desire for eating fish coming from just families is going to replace that kind of a a purchase. So I just wonder what that did to the price. I don't I don't know if it would make the price go up or down. Probably up. Not really sure on the prices. I know that it's been a huge hit to the fishing industry all along. You know, every bit of it, commercial guys to uh, charter guys. There's an association called National Association of Charterboat Operators, mm -hmm. who is also representing commercial interests and uh, lobbying uh, Congress for some kind of relief. Um, I've been following that pretty closely because it's been a huge hit. What do they say here. about that? Like, there some charter boat operators. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing. I was thinking about that. I mean, like you have some some people that are booked, a, you know, a year in advance. Some people are booked a month in advance. Some people, you know, take a get a get a charter, you know, walk up every day on the on the dock or maybe the day before. And like, how would you are, are people having a hard time um, like proving that they're losing this money i guess you could do it based upon last year's taxes or whatever but you know when you yeah it, you know it, it couldn't have come at a worse time i know we just started to fish about every day and and most charter guys you know uh are starting for us this is the meat of our season uh and then you know in summertime is is the main season for a, a number of areas right so this really couldn't have come at a worse time and the minute this started to really take off, uh, it was phone call after phone call canceling. And then, of course, they shut down our marinas and we're not allowed to operate. So um, it looks like they're going to start phasing some of us back in, maybe even as soon as next week here in Miami. 
there are uh, there are some areas where charters are actually able to get out, uh, but you don't have the customers. You know, people are still going to be a little nervous for a while. Um, some are going to, you know, I think people are so anxious to get out and go. And, and of course, the fishing is phenomenal right now. Yeah. Uh, this is the season. This is, you know, this is high season for, for business and for the fish. Um, so people are dying to get out. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are going to hold back and just kind of see what happens. They're still scared. Um, they're still, you know, so you, you don't have the volume of business. Even if they tell me I can start up tomorrow, you know, I really have to get on the phones uh to customers and you know see who's who's wanting to get out there yeah it's gonna you know it's it's tough for a while it's a it's a funny well it's not funny at all it's just a just kind of a strange time like when you talk about when things get back to normal and, and you're right some people will kind of hold back a little bit and you know if you're coming from california or mid midwest it's like my there might be a hesitation of you know if i get down there Am I going to have to stay down there for two weeks? Am I going to get quarantined down there or, you know, anywhere, wherever you go, you go on vacation somewhere like you want to go on vacation for three days, not for five weeks. Like that's, that would be, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, be an issue, but um, you know, the people with the local clients, I guess that's, that's super um, valuable right now. The charter boats with the, with the local clients some people are getting out, I guess, but, um, even when it, when it returns, there, there are a lot of local people that like to go. I'm sure you have a, a, a good number of locals or, or somewhat locals yeah, that are going. We've got a lot, you know, obviously the first cancellations we got where we've got a lot of clients all from, you know, from New York, from Boston, from Jersey. And of course, you know, they got hit hard and they all said, Hey, you know, I hope you understand. But of course, you know, it's just, uh, there was no way to get around that. Uh, Personally, my biggest concern is leading into camp. Um, usually, we're well on our way to selling out uh, camp at this point. We start registration you know, in February uh, online, and it uh, that it shut down. I haven't had a single booking. You know, of course, people want to see what's happening. They, they don't, it's hard to plan. Yeah. So where, what where, we've done. Oh, well, go is, ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, just preemptively, I've got. Um, uh, we're taking steps to prepare. Uh, ourselves just for kind of a different world here. Uh, the the folks at Bluefin Alatechnos, they make some really great reels and a lot of clothing and all. They've donated a couple hundred uh, buffs so that we can make sure all the kids and crew are wearing buffs all day. We're uh, gotten with the other captains. We're gonna we're setting up hand washing stations both on the dock and on the boats. Uh, it may come down to buckets of soapy water, you know, before and after you get on the rods, washing hands and just kind of new protocols just to be, you know, on top of it. You know, we, you have a very limited number of people on a boat and we, you know, we just want to take these extra steps to make people feel comfortable that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're on top of that doing everything we can anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I understand a lot of people feel like some of these things, you know, they might be window dressing, but uh, you know, we're just kind of following the the new normal. And, and I, I think in the end, it's just a, it's a better way to do things anyways. It might seem like a little overkill, but, you know, how much does it hurt to wash your hands a few extra times a day or, or cover your face up? You know, right. If it, if it helps, it helps. Right. Patrick, what's it doing to the scientific community right now? Wow, that's a great question. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm at home. home. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what it's doing to the scientific community. Everything yeah. goes on on pause unless you're unless you're researching uh, viruses or 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 communicable diseases. You're on right. on high alert right now. Yeah, I mean, um, from an educational perspective, you know, all our classes have been put online, um, which um, is very challenging, actually. You know, we um, our school, the College of the Florida Keys, has uh, got a really nice marine science program, and, you know, I'm part of that. And it's kind of hard to do marine science 100% online, you know, yeah. uh, diving in and, and um, getting in the ocean, you know, that's our main lab, and that's the main thing that sets us apart down here, so... Yeah, um, we're just, you know, um, charging along one day at a time, waiting for things to open up again, and and hopefully um, uh, it'll be sooner rather than later. Well, I hope so. I really do. I I, uh, I I don't think it could come soon enough, really. But I guess we have to be very careful of of um, not not acting too quickly and ending up like in this same situation for another couple of months. I guess if you went out and everybody. There was a big spike, then all of a sudden you're back in in this situation. So I don't know. Yeah. I hope that it's Captain, uh, over. Yeah, that- me too. Uh, soon. I was going to say, Captain Mike, um, something you might want to think about. Um, just get yourself a spray bottle with some uh, isopropyl alcohol, or you could even go to the uh, even cheaper is, you know, go to Home Depot and get the denatured ethanol that they have there uh, and just, you know, have a spray bottle. And every time you, uh, transfer the rod just spray it real quick with the uh, uh, the alcohol that that that'll do a really good job of uh taking care of uh you know any any um potential contact uh, decontamination yeah that's easy enough to put some spray bottles on the boats as well we'll probably just add that to the arsenal and uh yeah yeah first you have that's to find alcohol you have to find well, it first the, because I don't, I can't find it anywhere. It's, it's out well, just like toilet paper. Well, I mean, go to Home Depot. You can usually find or, or small, uh, the denatured ethanol. Uh, most people don't know about that, but, uh, denatured ethanol, is that similar to isopropyl alcohol? What, what? Yeah, it's, it's, it's alcohol. It's 95% pure alcohol, I think, really? um, but it's denatured, it's denatured. So you can't drink it. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, it works wonders on, on, killing bacteria and viruses and all kinds of other things. Huh. Well, I'll go look that up because, uh, I much prefer the, uh, I much prefer the, the alcohol over the bleach solution. Like I've had enough bleach in my life, washing boats and everything like that. I don't know if I need more exposure to bleach. Um, so like if I was just going to wipe, wash my hands with it, I'd, I'd probably prefer the, the alcohol. Just be careful not to use it on anything with the paint surface because, you know, that's what it's intended for is to uh, um, get rid of paint from brushes and things like that. Mike's so. boat's going to be be all messed <laughs> up. You're going to be get, you're gonna be getting a call. You know, no, the just, eats up the cushions or the, or the alcohol eats up the paint. I don't know. I don't think it'll have any impact on, you know, because usually that's, what is it, uh, um, some type of resin-based paint, right, that they have on the boat. So... Um, uh, I don't think it'll have any impact on that. I'm, I'm guessing, but you know, you don't have to go crazy with it. Uh, just a few spray. I'm, I'm really like, I'm spraying everything. If I get a package from, you know, UPS or whatever, uh, or FedEx, I, you know, I, I spray it and you can see it covers the whole box and it makes us feel a lot more comfortable here when we're taking stuff in the house. Mm-hmm. Can you dilute it? 
you got to be careful how much you dilute it. They say you need to have about 80% alcohol um, to be 100% sure that you're killing everything. Um, so I wouldn't dilute it too much. Really? 80% alcohol? Because I was just looking at the at the bottle of alcohol I had. It said 70% isopropyl alcohol. Like that wouldn't kill? Something? I'll have to look that up. That's just a number that I heard earlier. And well, I, I mean, I, I, don't, homework on it. I don't know if there's... I just grabbed whatever was in the store. I don't know if there's a choice on that. Yeah, I, I don't know either, to be honest with you. But um, oh, I, I can tell you for sure the stuff that, that you get from Home Depot will kill bacteria because that's part of our process for uh, making the shark repellent. What do you, What do, I mean, you, you're, I, I know that you're not a, an infectious disease expert, but I'm searching for so much, any type of information about coronavirus and sunshine. Like, do you, it seems like, you know, when you're, when you're growing things in a laboratory environment, it's certainly away from UV light. It's, it's in a temperature uh, controlled environment. Everything has to be kind of perfect. And I hear that this virus is pretty tough, but I just wonder, like, could it really live in the Florida Keys sunshine? No. Fully exposed, no. like I, that's what I've always heard no. is that is that sunshine and fresh air is the is the best antiviral or or antibacterial there is. Yeah, as long as no one sneezes on you, you're all fish. Right. So I mean, you that's know, that's what I, I kind of hope for is like that we'll get some information that that this stuff can't live in straight sunshine. So you could open parks, you could open docks, you could open marinas, you could open all these things that are out in the open air, but that information needs to come out and I, yeah, well, I've been it, looking for it. I haven't seen it. It's tough. I mean, the, the virus is tough relative to other viruses. The viruses in general are pretty, pretty weak and can't really stand up to UV light very well. So that's why a lot of the sterilization techniques use UV light, um, you know, to, to, to make things sterile. The question is the contact time, you know, if, if somebody, you know, uh, and, and the amount, right? So if somebody, some kid, you know, has a runny nose and wipes it on the side of the boat and somebody else puts their hand on it, you know, it's going to, that's going to be a, a, a vector for transmission, mm -hmm. you know, but if it's, you know, a kid sneezes on something and, you know, 10 minutes later, another kid comes along, there's a good chance that that virus is probably dead. Because if the water's gone, first of all, you know, just think about it like water, almost like um, uh, if you had a little droplet of water, how long would it take to evaporate? Right. Or get That's contaminated by little... other salt water, right? Like yeah, it, salt water exactly. would probably mess it up a little bit, too, I would imagine. And there's exactly salt spray all the time, except on the Look, gonna... calmest of days. I'm going to tell you what I tell everybody. Um, I actually worked in the Texas Department of Health Infectious Disease uh, micro, um, uh, micro, Microbiology Lab. And I was working with multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. And they did this crazy – the way they trained us was they um, basically put our hands in this bioluminescent paint, right? And then they let us go to work, you know, um, during the training. And at the end of the day, they took a, a light around and showed us all the things that we touched, right? Wow. Uh, and so you kind of get an idea, you know, and – you didn't get out of training until you could finish the day with all of your all of your um, bioluminescent fingerprints, uh, or not fingerprints, but uh, handprints inside the, the biosafety hood, right? Uh, and so you become real aware of what your hands do. And uh, so I tell everybody, 
you, as long as you wear something over your mat, over your face and your eyes, you're probably going to be okay. Um, because 99% of this transmission is, you know, from somebody touching something and then reaching up and rubbing their eyeballs mm-hmm. or, uh, or touching something and reaching up and, and, and scratching their face or their, close to their lips or something like that. With a mask on, you're not going to do that. And and just make and be more cognizant of washing your hands before you take any of that PPE off the personal protective equipment. Uh, and and you're going to be okay. We can get back to football games. We can get back to sporting events. You know, we're just going to have to have a little PPE on us. You know. Do you think that we're going to be going to football games with masks on? Not without masks on, no. Right. And I I wouldn't. I mean. Like I, I told my wife, I said, if they open schools in August and they're not making kids wear PPE, we're going to homeschool. Mm. Because think, this is the way you got to think about it, right? This whole global pandemic started with just a few people, right? And nobody's immune, right? right. Only the people, maybe maybe the people who've had it before might be immune, right? So the minute that we open up again and the minute the first person who's asymptomatic with that can spread it, the whole thing will start over again. But not mm-hmm. if we wear PPE, not if it, it won't. I mean, that's the thing that's going to separate us. And, and until a vaccine comes along, once a vaccine comes along, then, you know, uh, we'll be on a better road and be able to get back to, to the normal of norm. Mm-hmm. So but, what are your what are your thoughts on on the material? And, you know, like there we've we've had this shortage of of real surgical masks. And then we're talking about buffs like a buff is definitely better than nothing for sure. Yeah. But is yeah. it, is it like when you talk about kids at school, like would it be enough for them to be wearing like buffs or are if, they going to need like some sort of surgical mask? No, I mean, it's of course a surgical mask is better. Um, but even a buff is going to stop most of the particulate matter that comes out when you're just talking. Mm-hmm. You know, you spray a little bit. You can't help it. Sure. Everybody does. Uh, you spray a little bit, and a buff is going to catch probably ninety percent of that. And if you're wearing a buff, and the other person across from you is wearing a buff, you're you're, you know, I'm not going to say hundred percent, but you're you're in good shape. I'm, is my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And I then mean, that's, it also like like you're talking about. You know, you just keep yourself from touching your your face as much. I mean, you, yeah, you, you become more aware of it. You're like, huh. I'm touching well, my face right now. How many of you how many of you have gone to the grocery store since all this happened, right? And don't you think twice about picking up that avocado to see if it's oh, if yeah. it's ripe or you know, and then you think about all the people that touch that the same avocado. Yeah. You and know, then we're it, then it, we're uh washing it when we get home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're not gonna be able to keep it off your fingers. But, you know, um just be mindful. And I carry a bottle of uh the um um uh hand sanitizer in my pocket and you know when i'm at the grocery store i'm like okay i'm gonna i can't help it i gotta touch things to see if they're ripe and i gotta pick up things to look at dates and ingredients and things like that you can't help but touch you know so but when i'm done at the grocery store before i put anything in my truck i wash my hands and i spray alcohol on all my bags and 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 take it home and then i'm even more thorough when i get it in the house Mm. you know i know it's crazy but you know I, i feel like you know we've been We've been here now for a month almost uh, in, in lockdown with my house, and I got two babies, you know, uh, so I'd rather err on the side of caution uh, than than not. Yeah, we're being really careful. My, my babies are grown now, um, uh, but I have an 82 and an 81-year-old parent, and 
I'm being super careful because I don't want to bring anything to them. You know, like they're the, they seem to be the ones that are the most at risk. So we're being, we're being super careful there, but I don't know. I hope that what, what kind of information do you think Patrick needs to come out so that we go to football games so that we have an NFL season or <laughs> they open the Florida keys or like we're waiting on some information. It could be that there are so many tests available that now people can get tested. I don't, I don't know what it is. What, what will be the piece of information in your opinion that will kind of break it open a little bit? Well, you hear people talk about social distancing, right? And that's great. But I mean, social distancing is never going to allow us to get back to where people can go to. I mean, restaurants probably are going to be a little bit of a different story because you, you can't have a mask on and eat at the same time. Right. Mm. Um, but things where, you know, um, um, you know, like going to school. Right. I mean, um, it, we're not going to be safe, in my opinion, until a vaccine comes along. That's a long way off, but maybe, I mean, they're really, the FDA has proven that they're really fast tracking a lot of good stuff. So maybe it's not as long as we all think. Um, and, you know, um, it's personal protective equipment. You know, you see these people protesting, right, about uh, having to stay inside all day long. Well, you know, as long as you're wearing personal protective gear, I don't think we have to be quarantined, you know? Mm-hmm. But, I, but again, getting to the point to where restaurants are going to open and go into football games. If you can go to a football game and keep from drinking a beer, um, you know, maybe it's okay. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. I didn't know about your, your history with the, uh, with infectious disease. That's really cool. I'm glad I got to ask yeah. you a couple of questions about that. Well, and eye protection, that's one that everybody forgets about. I mean, if you touch something and you touch your eye, boy, that's a, that's probably a primary vector. Yeah. And for, uh, over 20 years, I guess we've been, I've been wearing a buff and sunglasses and a baseball hat and long sleeves and pants. And there you go. You couldn't, you couldn't fishing is the perfect, the perfect, uh, PPE. You, that's you're right. totally let's covered. All go fishing. Yeah. Let's all, let's go, all fishing. go fishing. That's about as socially distant as you can get. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you get mad if somebody's close to you. Like that's, that's, it's, it's the perfect activity. You want to get out there and get away, get as far away from everybody as you possibly can. and Cover yourself up. So hopefully. I think we might have one thing working to our advantage. What? Football season and school, but I don't see school happening for the rest of this year. But um, I think you got this uh, school and football opening up in, you know, September. Um, I think that buys us some time as well. They're talking about some of the first vaccines uh, potentially getting tested and coming online, what, in the fall or something? So, yeah, yeah. you know, you're looking at a window where, I think that we can do a lot with the PPE, you know, just, I, I, I can live with wearing a mask and gloves and going through all this, uh, you know, beyond the grocery store in, you know, in, in any store, uh, you know, restaurants are going to be tough. I don't know if I want to be around a whole room full of people that are, you know, eating and talking and, you know, but, uh, you know, they've got it tough, but, but I think in a lot of places, you know, if we can do it in the grocery store, we can do it everywhere else. We just have to be really careful and, you know, vigilant. Sure. Yeah. It's a new, like, like you say, a new normal, you know, that's just kind of the way, that's the way it's going to be for a little while. The sooner we kind of embrace that, the sooner we can get back to normal, I think, or some sort of normal. Um, but anyway, this was cool. I enjoyed talking with you guys. Um, 
today. It's an interesting conversation. Um, if people want to uh, find out more about you, Patrick, how, how do they look up your your work, what you're doing? Um, you can just go to sharkdefense.com. Um, yeah, sharkdefense.com and all the all the shark talent research that we've done and all the links to all the TV shows we've been on and everything is uh, is there and uh, the research and all the other stuff. Okay, and Mike, how do people find out about your camps and and uh, your charter service? FishMiami.com. Uh, really simple. We got all the info on camp on there. You can register online, charter information. Um, got a great feature that came out in Marlin Magazine in March if they want to just read up on some of the, the history behind the program. And uh, I really appreciate you having us on. It's, uh, it's yeah, interesting. Thanks. Yeah, it was Can fun. I say one more thing? Sure. Can, uh, I, I, you know, so uh, I talked about where you could find out about our research, but if you're interested in uh, uh, getting the uh, Shark Tech product, right, just go to sharktech.com. Okay. All right. And that's and tech with a T-E-C. Okay. Is that sold in, in just online or is it on in stores too or where is it? We're working on getting it in the stores, but it's, it's only available, I think, right now online. Okay. All right. Well, that's good, man. We'll do this again. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to try it out myself and, and do another podcast after, after, uh, I have experience with it. That'd be, that'd be pretty interesting. But, uh, anyway, I hope that, uh, you guys stay safe and, and, um, get back to work sooner rather than later. But, uh, yeah, amen to that. Anyway, amen to that. all right. Thanks so much guys. And that's it. And thank you as well. We will see you guys next week with another full length episode. We're putting out two full length episodes a week. So we will see you then. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.